stop whatever you're doing and listen to Josh and Daniel, Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Aussie podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast where we discuss all things Aussie and Aussie related. I am Josh Crum and with me as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? Good. What's up, dude? Not much, man. Just excited about this episode tonight. You know, we love to do the battles. Absolutely. The battles are definitely one of my favorite episodes and we are so excited to have Mr. Ryan Beavers back on the show today. What's up, Ryan? What is up, fellas? Good to be here. This is great. Hey, it's so good to hear your voice, by the way, and not have you sick. Ryan was battling COVID the last time he was on, and he was a trooper and did an amazing job. So it's great not to hear you so stuffy and sick, man, but welcome back. I appreciate it. Definitely uh, feels good to feel like myself. I've listened parts of that other episode a couple times, and eesh, but here we are. We're all good. So let's do this. You know, as Dan was introducing you to our listeners, I couldn't help but think, Ryan Beavers, that kind of sounds like a porno name. I kind of like it. I mean, if you're going to call me out, I don't know if you've ever seen anything or whatever, but that was my other life. But we'll stick to the podcasting here. How was that? That was a long time ago, man. I understand that was a long time ago. Yes, yes. Ryan is using code names. (laughs) (laughs) I just call him Mr. Beavers, just saying. So, Dan, last week we ranked the top Black Label Society songs in our opinions, and I think we got a ton of feedback on social media, which we you know appreciate so much from all the listeners. So tell me, what kind of feedback did you get on that episode that kind of stood out to you? I'm so excited over the last episode. We have gotten so much love over the ranking the best Black Label Society albums. I'd say two things to stick out really strong for me. One is, unfortunately, Shot to Hell is just not appreciated by... I believe the fans, and I think they need to give it another listen. I think it's his best batch of songs, clearly his best batch of mellow songs since the amazing Book of Shadows. And the other thing that really stood out is the love of your top choice, Order of the Black. It is getting so much love online. This episode just went through the roof. We love all of the support, the feedback, the comments. Keep it coming because it was definitely our most interactive show yet. I definitely feel like the Black Label Society fans and the Zach Wild fans has really started to embrace our show. That was the first episode that really reached out to them, and it seems like they really picked it up and ran with it pretty quick because we've seen our numbers really go through the roof. Of course, Guitar World and Blabbermouth printing the news that we posted last week didn't hurt anything, but it feels like the Zach Wild fan base has really ran with that episode and really jolted our numbers up so we definitely appreciate that order of the black has come through pretty strong on most lists which i'm very proud of man i think it's a solid record ryan what would you say is your favorite black label society album i think i'd have to go order the black also like uh, just as a front to back hit after hit not in a commercial sense but just solid songwriting and it was fantastic and i and i have an appreciation just as dan does for uh shot to hell i mean it's melodic it's catchy incredible ballads that i think we'd all would have loved to hear ozzy take a stab at shot to hell is in my probably top three you're not alone in that wow that so makes me so excited you're right there with both of us. one piece of feedback we got a lot dan from a lot of listeners was hey guys you gotta listen a lot closer to grimmest hits i will admit 
we did receive a lot of messages and comments on social media that we didn't give that one a fair shake. That maybe we need to listen to it a little closer. I did listen a little more this past week. Very Sabbathy. It definitely is probably better than I give it credit for in my mind, but it's still probably last on the list for me. I, I did give it a chance, and I listened to it honestly three or four times this week. Uh, not necessarily in its entirety all the time, but in moments. It's a good album, but it just doesn't catch me the way the other ones do. I totally agree, and it would still be the bottom of my list. I did revisit it a few times this week, and you and I and Ryan talked about it. I think the key for me is the melodies just don't stand out for me. And that's always an issue when I listen to a new record. If I can't hum a melody or sing how the songs go after listening to it a few times, there's just something missing and not connecting to me as a listener. So I think that's the issue with Grimace Tiss. I think it has some wonderful guitar playing, of course. It's got some killer fucking riffs, but I just think the songs melodically from a vocal standpoint just don't resonate with me on it. And that's why it ranks to the bottom of my list. And that still hasn't changed. It's the same problem I have with Mafia. We talked about that. The back half of Mafia has the same issue where I would take the best album, 1919 Eternal, all day because of the melodies, the guitar playing. It's the whole package. Same thing with Order of the Black and Shot to Hell. There's something to be said about albums that you can listen all the way through without wanting to skip tracks and move forward. Those are always obviously the best lessons when you can just chill out, lay back and just let them roll and not worry about skipping certain tracks or anything like that. So I totally agree. Well, that brings us to our latest news. Black Label Society and Zach Wilde dropped another new song this week, End of Days. What do you guys think about it? I really enjoy it. It's slow, chuggy thing that Zach's kind of been doing lately. Not much in the way of out-and-out riffs, but it's got a nice melody to it. Zach sounds fantastic. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that Zach is the valedictorian from the Ozzy School of Melody. He always hits it, and that's what was missing on Grimace Hits, because I'm all on board with you guys as far as the rankings of that album go. He's already turned it around in the first two singles. Eight out of ten for me. Dan made the comment last week that Set You Free was better than any song on Grimmest Hits, and I totally agree. And actually, I think End of Days is better than any song on Grimmest Hits also for me. I really enjoyed that one. It's a cool little lick. The music video was funny as shit. I typically don't get into the goofy videos that Zach can do sometimes. I eh, kind of hit and miss with me, but I have to admit... The video for End of Days actually made me laugh out loud a few times. I loved when he was taking JD and he had him in the mascot mask of the koala bear. and He's just bashing his head into the window. I thought that was fucking awesome, man. I really liked the video. It seems like this one just has more of a band atmosphere. I know that JD and some of the guys were on Grimace Hits also, but this album just feels like it has more of a band feel to it than the other ones have in the past. I'm really digging the sound of it. I couldn't agree more. It's great that we're all on the same page before the battle begins because I'm sure that the punches are going to be flowing later, but... There's no question that End of Days and Set You Free is worlds better than anything on Grimace Tits. I think End of Days rocks. I actually like the version on Spotify and the streaming better than the video because it starts out with that riff without the vocals. And the video does start out with Zach coming in right away. And they have to appease people because they need to be told what to listen to right away. They can't enjoy a 30-second riff. It drives me fucking crazy. But the riff is actually really tasty. It's very simple, but it's kind of melodic. The vocals are catchy. I love that Zach isn't taking himself so seriously in the videos. I think it's perfect. Both videos were hilarious. He's at an age now where he can just enjoy it. He doesn't need to be that fucking metal guy that just is miserable all the time. I think it's great that he's kind of has a much more lax attitude and is having some fun with it personally. 
I agree totally. He has fun with it, like you said, and they don't take it too seriously. But at the same time, like I said, the video was hilarious. I like the Scooby-Doo scene also where they're kind of going in and out of rooms and chasing each other. I thought it was funny as shit. I agree, man. And it was so weird that the music video did have the intro taken off, like you said, a minute ago. You're looking at probably, honestly, you said 30 seconds. It's probably not even that. It's probably like 15 seconds, 12 seconds of that riff. Right. You know, I know that singles often shrink and condense the songs down for time for radio, but you literally lost like 10 seconds in that song. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a strange move to cut the riff off of that one also. But I don't think they cut it off. I actually think the song length is the same. They just added the vocal track to the opening. That's what it sounds like to me. My impression when besides a single edit for radio is that for video, it works the same. The aspect of that is it shrinks the budget a little bit. Maybe not in this case, but in in other singles, you're cutting a minute, minute and a half out of a song. That's whatever, tens of thousands of dollars in like a full scope video shoot. So I can see why that happens in general. But here, it definitely seemed like an odd choice. Good point, Ryan. To have a video edit of a song like No More Tears completely makes sense as much as people might hate the radio edit, but I get it from a financial standpoint. I get it from an MTV standpoint from back in the day because they have so many videos they can play and a seven and a half minute song is just too long for them. So I do get that from that perspective. But this particular edit is just baffling to me. Also, in other news, we had the Diary of a Madman 40th Anniversary Deluxe Digital Release Only Edition came out on all streaming services. Sounded really good to me. Do you guys feel like they would definitely had a new master on it that it had a little bit of an updated sound? Or do you think they just took the 30th anniversary and just added these two live tracks to them? I personally think that it sounded remastered and remixed. The drums sound absolutely incredible. I went ahead and re-listened to the tracks from the same show on the Blizzard 40th anniversary. And to me, the the diary stuff sounds even better. I can't get over how good the drums sound. I agree. that Those live tracks in particular, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'll kind of jump on a limb here and say that I think it sounds better than tribute. I mean, it's just so full. Every instrument, and like especially with a decent set of headphones on it, the drums are just are huge. They killed it. When they released the 30th anniversary box set and they first put out the Aussie Live CD, right? Live from the Blizzard Tour 81. Those are the tracks they're using for the Blizzard of Oz 40th anniversary and the Diary of a Madman 40th anniversary. Like we agree on that, correct? Those are the same tracks. No question. I think they've always been sonically amazing. I remember when the 30th anniversary got released, I fell in love with that CD because my all time favorite album is actually Randy Rhodes' Tribute. It's not Diary of a Madman or Blizzard. It's Tribute. That's the album that turned me on to all of this and got me started. And I remember listening to that Aussie Live, Blizzard 81, and thinking, I believe I like this better than Tribute. And even though there's nothing wrong with it, it's the same group, it's the same people, the same tour. But the thing I loved so much about it then, which was 10 years ago, was how fucking good the drums and bass sounded sonically. The drums were just pounding. They're just ferocious. And I remember just thinking how good this drum sounded then. So I would say, I mean, they could very well have been enhanced a little since then also. I mean, you have 10 more years of technology, you know, and now they're obviously mixing things to work better in headphones and stuff like that versus stereo systems and so on and so forth. I think it may be improved from the 30th anniversary, but I think they were already sonically booming with the 30th anniversary release also. I think you're on to something there. I do think they do sound a tad bit better, but... I'll be honest, I mainly stream music, so I haven't listened to that record in quite a while. So to me, it was kind of fresh sounding and exciting. You know, now we're only missing three songs from that on a streaming service, and that's the three Sabbath songs. 
Iron Man, Children of the Grave, and Paranoid. It seems like they probably won't ever put that out on a streaming service, so I'll have to make sure I'm popping in my CD and vinyl because I own it on both, of course. But I, I agree. Sonically, it is superior to Tribute. Obviously, Tribute is touched up vocally. I'm sure this is touched up a little bit vocally, but not with Ozzy re-recording it, maybe through some Pro Tools here and there. I think overall, I enjoy Ozzy Live more than Tribute. I'm with you guys 100%. So did you guys also listen to the actual album? Yes. I thought it sounded great. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think the album sounds really good. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like what we said about Down to Earth. It's very crisp and clear, just a little more audible. You can hear things a little more clearly than you could before. I, I think they sound really good. I like what they're doing with these releases. Like I said about the uh, No More Tears release or the Down to Earth release, one of those. Like They're not asking us for any money. They're going up to streaming sites, which we're already on anyway. They're not even available for purchase, so there's there's no real financial gain in them other than gaining listens for Ozzy, which doesn't come out of our pocket. I'm really enjoying these, and I hope they go back and do some more albums like this because it's definitely fun. And like you said, it puts songs on the streaming service that maybe wasn't there before. We've had the Ozzy Live for 10 years, but it's also not been on the streaming service for fans just to click one click of a button and listen to. Agreed. And another thing, too, is I was initially very upset that Over the Mountain Live was not included but I should have realized that out of the gate. Of course, it wasn't fucking included because it wasn't on Ozzy Live. And I should have known right away, of course, they're using those tracks. The only disappointment is we don't have a nice, clear, clean version of Over the Mountain Live with Randy playing. And that kind of bums me out a little bit, being one of my all-time favorite songs. But other than that, it's a great fucking package. Like you said, it doesn't cost us anything. And it's great that the Ozzy camp continues to put out new stuff with adding a little bit extra here and there for the diehard fans. At some point, they have to do Over the Mountain Live, and they also have to do the band jam. I mean, for Randy Rhodes freaks out there, and we are everywhere, the band jam is something that has never officially been released either. There's so little on Randy anyway, and that's something that we really would like to have. We do agree that the band jam is from the Diary Tour, and all of these releases is actually still from the Blizzard Tour. So I wonder if that's why they haven't been officially released yet. They have to have a professional recording from the Diary Tour, which would include Over the Mountain and, of course, the Band Jam. Tommy Aldridge said once in an interview that I read that he had just boxes and boxes of live recordings from both tours. Randy was only on the Diary Tour for about three months before he passed, three and a half. But still, I'm sure a few of those shows had to be recorded. Yeah, it's impossible that there's not probably several versions of Over the Mountain out there whatever reasoning that we none of that has surfaced yet who knows i think we can all agree that as we've discussed in the past as he struggled live with over the mountain be it pitch he would jostle lyrics quite a bit and, and maybe there's something to that uh, that's the only thing i can think of. it makes no sense why that song hasn't gotten that live release but proper for everyone to hear it's got to be out there there's stuff out there. there's no way it's just sitting on a in a giant vault somewhere waiting to see the light of day, I, I believe. I guarantee yeah. you this. If I had the files of the over-the-mountain performance from the side of the stage that he has released from New Mexico, I can make wonders with that performance vocally. He is actually very good on that one. It's the first time I watched it over-the-mountain when I saw that live the first time and went, gosh, he actually sounds really good live on over-the-mountain because typically he really struggles hard on it. So I agree with you. I think that's some of the issues. But at the same time, I fucking laugh every time I listen to Believer Live from that era. He sings the same words over and over and over again. I mean, I think every time it's speculation of the wise. Yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> to your guys' point about the these little streaming nuggets that they keep dropping, I mean, I, I will take that all day, every day. I mean, that's 99% of how I listen to music nowadays. And 
I, I, if I would have lost a bet, had someone said that they were going to release the 20th anniversary of Down to Earth, I never thought that album would get any love again. Just having these little bits and pieces here and there, it's it's it's, it's awesome. I'll take it. So it makes me excited for a 40th Bark in the Moon and a 40th Ultimate Sin, what have you. So maybe the uh, remix is in our future of the Ultimate Sin. Oh yeah, if they're not working on it right now, they need to start tomorrow. That would be a great 40th anniversary idea. We also got with this release an official music video for Flying High Again. As a Randy Rhodes fanatic, I fucking absolutely loved it. I read online so many fans were like, oh, we wanted new footage. <sighs> People, listen, take it from Ojashi here. Is there footage of Randy Rhodes out there that we haven't seen? Of course, because we don't know what's in someone's closet, what's under someone's bed. We don't know. When the Osbournes get footage on Randy that they discover, they've released it every time. Every time. Dan referenced earlier the Albuquerque, New Mexico side of the stage footage of them doing Over the Mountain to Mr. Crowley. Every time they get this stuff, they'll find some way to get it out to us. The New York City show that we got on the 30th anniversary. They literally discovered that like within a year of the release of that 30th anniversary, and then they put it out there. These whole conspiracy theories that Sharon's hoarding full-blown pro shot Diary of a Madman tour concerts with Randy Rhodes is complete bullshit. It's just bullshit. A, there's money in releasing it, so why wouldn't she release it? You say she's so money-hungry, why wouldn't she release it? Two, it just doesn't exist. Now, we do know that there's footage floating around, I, unfortunately I'm not preview to it yet, of Detroit on both tours, the Blizzard Tour and the Diary Tour. And that's kind of been floating around. It made its way onto a Randy Rhodes site. We saw like, I don't know, 60 seconds of it, minute and a half, and then it went away because the person wasn't supposed to share it with anyone. So we do know that's out there somewhere. The Osmores aren't the ones that are holding it up. I just hate to tell you. I get so irritated at those people that want to blame everything on Sharon. They don't have it. But that said, I did love what they did with the Flying High Again music video. I thought clipping together the pictures and kind of making them artsy. And it was truly a Randy Rhodes tribute piece. I mean, it, it really was. Yeah, there was a lot of Ozzy in it. Unfortunately, no Bob or Lee. We had a quick glimpse of Rudy and Tommy Aldridge, but that was brief right at the beginning. But it was a Randy Rhodes tribute piece. And at the end, it even said in memory of Randy Rhodes. I mean, they, they made no bones about what it was for. I thought it was pretty cool. What did you guys think about it? I thought it was a lot of fun. Bringing new life, new attention to a song that's 40 years old. How, how do you do that? Some little visual cues here and there and uh, some animations going on. It, it was fun. And it's you can't ever get sick of seeing those photos from back then, whether you've seen it once or you've seen it a hundred times. In particular for me, that existed four years before I was born. So it's fun to pretend that I might have been around back then. Anything with Randy and the Blizzard and the Diary, all that era, whatever they want to do, put it out there. Would it be been nice to see a little bit of Lee and a little bit of Bob in there? Sure. But we know that situation and we have it. We have. I dig it. I think my frustration is it's not like they fucking spotlighted Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge the whole video for them to say, where's Bob and Lee? We all know Bob and Lee were crucial to making those records. There's no question about it. This was clearly a piece to celebrate Randy Rhodes and Ozzy. Ozzy is the star here. I hate to inform everybody, but the facts of the matter is Ozzy Osbourne is the star. The band wasn't called the Blizzard of Bob. It was called the Blizzard of Oz. People need to get that through their fucking head. And I love Bob Daisley. I love him. But Ozzy and Randy, this is what it is about. It was a celebration of Randy getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the 40th anniversary of the last record he ever did. That's it. That was all the video is. We don't need to overlook what it was, we can just be happy 
that Ozzy is doing a wonderful job of keeping the legacy of Randy Rhodes alive and well. As a diehard Randy Rhodes fan, the reason I played fucking guitar, that matters to me more than all of it. Hats off to the Osbournes for doing a wonderful job with the video. It was spot on and perfect and just a nice piece. Well said by both of you guys. And one thing that I found kind of neat, we know when you see the clips of After Hours and Randy's doing the solo for Flying High again, we know he's not playing Flying High again during those sections of that video. But they did a decent job of syncing it up to where the slides and stuff were at the right moments, where it almost looked like he was playing that song. I thought they did a really good job with it. Yeah, they tapped when he tapped and the whole thing, Josh. That's a great point. It was cool. Blizzard of Bob sounds like a horrible documentary about like accountants and the middle of montana or something <laughs> the blizzard of bob i love it <laughs> remember that movie what about bob <laughs> yes what about blizzard of bob he's gonna hear this and think it back wish he named his book blizzard of bob <laughs> it's actually probably the most passion i've gotten since we've started doing this but that was from the heart that was not planned yeah well said that brings us into this past weekend you know our idol dan just said the reason he plays guitar the reason i play guitar is randy rhodes and it was so cool to see our hero get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I thought it was beautiful. It was brief. Some people were complaining that it was too brief. But, you know, Randy was going in under a special wing. He wasn't going in necessarily as a performer. So some of the people that go in under that category don't even have songs that can be played on stage. Like, I know there were some complaints that no band played his songs and, and those kind of things. And I understand the, the thought behind that. They wanted him to have the same treatment everyone else got. But some of those people that go in under that category and that wing don't even have songs to perform. They're people that's behind the scenes. That said, I thought the five-minute video was gorgeous. You know, I thought Tom Morello inducting Randy, kind of like Kathy Rose or Genzio insinuated on our interview with her a few weeks back that they thought Tom would be the one that would induct him. I thought having Zach there to talk about Randy was awesome. It was notable that the Osbournes weren't on the video other than using clips from previous DVD releases and VHS releases and stuff. But one thing I want to remind all fans, look, I am an Ozzy Osbourne fanboy, I'll admit it. But we got to remember, Ozzy's not doing well health-wise right now. Sharon admitted last month he's going in for another surgery. Don't take the Osbournes' absence as automatic diss. They didn't just not go to be assholes. They clearly love Randy Rhodes, and they clearly appreciate everything Randy's always brought to the camp. I don't think their not being there was in any way a slight towards Randy Rhodes or the Rhodes family. I totally agree, and it also didn't take the spotlight away from Randy. You know, if Ozzy was there, it might have taken the spotlight a little bit away from Randy. I thought the piece was beautiful. I loved the words that Tom Morello spoke, and it was really cool that he mentioned that his son was named after Randy Rhodes, and... I mean, that just goes to show you what a fucking huge fan the man is. I thought it was a gorgeous piece. I love the fact that Kirk Hammett kind of talked about how he stole the solo from one from Crazy Train. I thought that was really cool. And they kind of interlaid them playing it at the same time. You know, the pieces they took from Don't Blame Me was fantastic. And some of the other videos. Overall, it was a super perfect tribute. I hate to use that word, but it was a great tribute. Because, again, he went in as a sideman. Isn't that what it's called? You know, with like Scotty Moore from Elvis, right? Some great, great fucking phenomenal players that don't get the credit they deserve. So they're not going to get nominated like Black Sabbath did or Led Zeppelin did. But the fact that he is in as a sideman is exactly where Randy belongs. And it's perfect. He is one of the greatest, if not for me, the greatest guitar player to ever strap it on. Hats off to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for finally doing the right thing. And congratulations 
to Randy's family, Kathy and Kelly, and that had to be so wonderful for them. And again, they were beautiful people. So I'm really happy for his family as well. And let's not lose the fact also that Randy's the first guy in Hard Rock history ever to get this award. The Hall of Fame has always had it around. He's the first person ever to get it from a Hard Rock category. So, I mean, it's awesome that they bestowed that honor upon him. I think no doubt Tom Morello had a ton to do with it. And now if we can just get Tom to help Ozzy get nominated next year for his solo career, then that'd be everything we asked for. <laughs> Don't let me go off on an Eddie Trunk tangent. I think it's easy to pick apart, like you know, the little things with these award shows and Hall of Fames, and could have done this, and this should have been that. But we could probably have watched a two-hour documentary on Randy, and and it wouldn't be enough. The fact that he got in, it's deserved. There's nothing else to say. I mean, it's it's fantastic for the family. It was great to see. Couldn't be more deserved. So the latest and last bit of news for the week is Ozzy's record label Sony has come out recently and has 100% confirmed that Ozzy's new record will be released before April of next year. So over the next six months, the record will drop. That means it could drop as early as January, February, or as late as April, but it is scheduled to be released over the next six months, confirmed by Sony Records. Super exciting news. I think we're going to get a single after the first of the year. I just am so excited. A lot of news is starting to come out about the new record. 15 songs were absolutely recorded. We've talked about this on the podcast before. How are we going to break up 15 songs? 10 going to make the record with five left over. Is he releasing 15 of them? Fuck, why doesn't he just go record one or two more and release them as two records over a year span? Totally exciting. I actually go a little bit different than you. I believe a new single is going to be coming any day. I can't help it. I feel like it's finished. If they say the album will be released in the next six months, you got a single coming about two months or so before that. I know the odds of him making tour is not very likely with his health conditions. We just discussed that in the last segment. But like he's still scheduled to be playing shows in January. Zach and Adam both let on. They're expecting that. They're getting ready for the shows in January. We know they're unlikely, but as of now, they're planning for January. So I feel like the new single would come out at least a few weeks before that. So I wouldn't be shocked if we don't get the single in November or December still. That's just my opinion. Fingers crossed, hoping. Totally exciting news, man. It just really confirmed what we already knew and that the album is coming and that it's coming very soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking March release, truthfully. I don't know why. I have a feeling it's going to be the end of the first quarter of 2022. So that's why I said January, but I agree with you two months before the record. What about you, Ryan? I had the same feeling. I was thinking March. I'm thinking maybe we get a little bit of an early Christmas gift with a single. Kind of follow that platform. We got a December single, a January single, maybe even a third one. Come February and then March, we get the full drop. Bring it on. So what are you guys' thoughts about 15 songs? I mean, it's a very unique number because there's no way Ozzy releases a 15-song record. What are your guys' thoughts? So are we going to get 10, 11 songs with four left over? What do you guys think? You're probably on to something in that yeah, there's, there's a few leftovers. Going back to, to talking about streaming and stuff, to me at this point, just drop it in streaming services. You got 15 tracks, drop all 15 tracks. You don't have to do the whole giant push for like a mega release and physical copies. Physical copies as an option for sure, but if we have 15 tracks, let 15 tracks go. At this point, saving you know a few things here and there for a Japanese bonus track or whatever, is it still worth that in 2021, 2022? It doesn't seem like that way to me. So I'll tell you what I think they're going to do, just my opinion. I think they're going to release it just like they did 13. I could see 10 or 11 songs as the actual CD. You can buy the deluxe version that has two discs with the extra four bonus tracks on it. 
for you know the extra three dollars or whatever. The key to that being when you buy that deluxe version that's two disc, that goes down as two album sales. Artists get double the sales credit for that. I think it could be a smart marketing push to get Ozzy over that hump to that number one spot that he's always coveted so bad on the Billboard Top 200. Because most fans are going to go ahead and buy that two-disc set and get those bonus tracks. And then, there you go, you have two sales over one automatically. I love it, Josh. I think you're on to something there. And let's hope they do that because I want all 15 songs released regardless. So, great point. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I actually like that quite a bit. As long as we don't have a Walmart version and a Best Buy version. I expect to buy five versions of the fucking record again like I do on all of them. Every time. And, you know, that was the worst, though. That era around Black Rain where you had to do that. You had to go to Target to get this song or go to Best Buy and that that version had this song. That really was the worst. And it was so shitty when you consider the person that that fucked was the true loyal diehard fan that went out there to get every one of those for that one song you re- rebuying the cd again for one song and we all did it i did it couldn't wait to go yeah. to all the you know and get them all but looking back at it that was really a shitty way and i'm not pointing my finger at ozzy that was just the industry at that time in the early 2000s that's what they did and the placing strategically all over the country different tracks Absolutely. And the worst part is then they fucking released it all as a double CD a year later. And I was like, ah, I had to track all these songs down. And then Black Rain came out with the tour yeah. edition. So now onto our topic for the week. This is so exciting. I absolutely loved the last episode we had Ryan on and we did the battle of Bark versus the Ultimate Sin. This time we are doing a Sabbath versus Sabbath knockout. And it's Paranoid versus Master of Reality. Two of the biggest, heaviest, titanic albums of all time in the world of heavy metal. And what a knockout it's going to be. This is some tough matchups here. Super excited about discussing this with you guys in detail and seeing where we agree and disagree. But we all agreed. We thought this was just a natural, perfect matchup. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like As you said, like this, the two heavyweights, this is it. This is every single heavy band you've ever listened to Like is influenced by both of these albums amongst the others I mean, this is what launched sabbath into the global icon and uh putting them head to head together is it's gonna be fun two of the greatest hard rock albums of all time heavy metal albums of all time i mean paranoid maybe the greatest metal album of all time I, there's a lot of people that would say that master of reality is right behind it but now it's time for us three to decide which is the better of the two i think this is another great matchup because obviously they're both Roger Bain productions. And the first three Roger Bain records all have that similar sound and similar vibe. So even though Master Reality is the first album they tuned down to C sharp, where Paranoid is tuned to E standard, which makes Master Reality much heavier. A lot of people think that Tony Iommi tuned down to C sharp from the beginning, but that's just not true. He did not do that on the first two records. So Master of Reality is the first album he tuned down to C sharp, which gives it that heavier, beefier, ungodly tone clearly the first doom metal album of all time one was released in 1970 the others released in 1971 the sonic sound of the records are very similar because of roger bain's production which makes for another great interesting battle absolutely they're sister albums in a lot of ways so that's what's going to make the battle that much more intriguing to see which ones we prefer over the others that said dan are you ready to get into it let's do it so first up are two iconic titanic openers we have the legendary War Pigs, which I think you can make an argument as the most iconic Black Sabbath song of all time, versus the ultra-popular Doom classic, Sweet Leaf. 
two titans start these records head-to-head. And this is a tough battle, but what do we got, Josh? For me, I love Sweet Leaf, but I got to go War Pigs. War Pigs is the quintessential Black Sabbath song. It's my favorite Black Sabbath song, and I would take War Pigs over any song from Black Sabbath in any era. So for me, it's War Pigs. Yeah, I, I got to go War Pigs. It's got every flavor, the time changes, the groove. And I will say, I personally think it's the single greatest live setting in concert song ever. I mean, if you are not completely engrossed in, and involved in that song live with 20,000 other people, check your pulse. I mean, it's just tit for tat singing with Ozzy and the clapping to the cymbals. And it's just brilliant. It's one of my favorite experiences of my life, probably the dozen times or whatever I've heard it live. War Pigs, for sure. Yeah, this is a tough battle. Sweet Leaf is so iconic. I absolutely love the outro of Sweet Leaf. I think Ozzy sounds fantastic. Actually, vocally, much higher than people realize. Fuck, I mean, I've played this song so many times on the guitar. It's so iconic. But unfortunately, it's going against War Pigs, which I couldn't agree more with what you both said. I clearly have to choose War Pigs here. It could be the greatest metal song of all time, from Ozzy's performance to the drumming to the guitar riffs to seeing it live, like said Ryan, and getting those chills of singing along with everybody live together and Goddamn, Geezer's bass is fantastic. It just, metal does not get better than War Pigs. So I go War Pigs. To Ryan's point about it being such a great live song also, I mean, how many songs are there in the world that people sing the guitar riffs, right? Fans sing along to the guitar riff at the end of War Pigs, and it's my favorite moment of almost every Sabbath show. I'll get chill bumps every time. When they when Tony goes in that last riff, oh, 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 that is fucking awesome, man. And for one, that's a lot of that's Ozzy because he's sung that for so many years that the fans know it. You know, I know sometimes it's annoying when he sings over the riffs and stuff, but it also helps the fans participate and become a part of the show. Now he doesn't even have to do that. The fans just sing those parts, and it's so fucking iconic, man. Yeah, I'd, you know that Ryan about it being a great live song because it is the perfect live heavy metal song, no question about it. I think that's all great points, and I do think it works there with Ozzy singing that live with the crowd. It's just, you know, the crowd singing that whole song anyway, so it just makes perfect sense. One of the things I do want to bring up before we go to the next track is, how fucking doomy is Sweet Leaf? I kind of don't ever really think of it as a classic doom song, but fuck, it is so slow and sludgy, and I say that as a positive. It's just such a great headbanger. So no disrespect to Sweet Leaf, but fuck, what a great doom song. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet Leaf's fucking amazing. Against almost any other song in the catalog, Sweet Leaf probably wins. Next up, we have Paranoid, the title track, versus After Forever. What do we got, Ryan? I hesitate because I feel like After Forever is kind of that sleeper track. You know, it, it doesn't get a whole lot of attention. It's been part of the live set here and there in the reunion era, but it's always been a killer track in the set. And Paranoid's just the one you hear at the or the mechanic shop and the grocery store or whatever, but you just you can't. It's hard to top that. It just it was just a moment of perfection in time. They just to know that they just slapped it together literally as a filler to become one of the most iconic songs in just the history of recorded music is unbelievable for a million different reasons. I got to go paranoid. It's just it's everything. That's the, the Sabbath staple. So paranoid. I am also going to go paranoid. It's impossible for me to vote against Ozzy's most iconic track. Every concert, I've seen him live. He's played it. Hearing it live, for me, is also something special because 
I always take in what I've just experienced. And I know you guys will understand this, but I've seen Ozzy countless times, just like you have. But when Paranoid plays at the end of the set, we know it's over and an emotion comes over me because we know it could be the last time seeing him or who the hell knows when we see him again. But something so iconic about Paranoid. I have so many live versions of it. It's fucking so simple, but so classic. I love Tony's guitar solo, how they just whip that up and a half an hour in the studio because Paranoid needed another song is mind blowing to me. I know we hear it a lot, but I've never gotten tired of Paranoid. I would actually be disappointed if Paranoid was not played at an Ozzy show. The only Sabbath song I need to hear if I saw Ozzy live solo band, but I do love Paranoid. So for me, my pick is Paranoid because it's Paranoid. I love After Forever. I think it's got another great groove, another great lyrics by Geezer questioning religion and just them being already crucified for being called Black Sabbath. It's a brilliant song on a brilliant record, but it's fucking paranoid. Sorry, I go paranoid. What do we got, Josh? <laughs> How you guys doing? <laughs> how's, how's all the listeners out there today? I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Uh, oh, boy. Um, For me, yeah, I'm going after forever. Uh, I love, man, look. I'm as big an Aussie fan and Sabbath fan as there is on Earth. I love Paranoid. It's not even burnout for me. With Crazy Train, I know a lot of people are like, ah, I'm just burned out on it, so therefore I'm picking this one. Or, And you can say the same for Paranoid. Like, ah, I'm burned out on it, so I'm going after forever. It's not even really the burnout. I do appreciate, Dan, what you said a minute ago about how they had to whip it together so quickly. And Ryan said that also. And how it turned into a classic rock staple and one of the greatest you know songs in recorded music history like i totally appreciate that and i love that and i love turning on a movie like days and confused and paranoid comes on for a moment there going out of a commercial break for a football game on television and paranoid's playing i like, i totally love and appreciate that i love it that said paranoid for me has never been one of my favorite sabbath songs it just it just hasn't i love it on the live set, it, 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 there is an emotion involved with it, knowing it's the last track of the night and you know the, this is the end of the show and stuff. But I really like After Forever, this, the, the keyboard intros and stuff, which is kind of a different sound at the time. And I just like After Forever. It's, it's just got a little more life to it for me than Paranoid does. So, And like I said, it's not a, even a burnout thing. I, just, I love Paranoid, but I just don't think it's as great. Okay, put it this way. I don't see how Paranoid is the song that Black Sabbath is so known for. I can see how Crazy Train is the song Ozzy's so known for. I can understand that. To me, Black Sabbath has 15 songs better than Paranoid. I feel exactly what you're saying, but more about Crazy Train. I like Paranoid better than Crazy Train, quite frankly. I think there's a thousand songs better by Ozzy than Crazy Train. So I kind of understand where you're coming from. But to me, Paranoid is two minutes and 47 seconds of bliss. If that's what it is, it's something like that. I understand that. Well, that brings us to a whole other argument altogether. Let's go ahead and get into this real quick. You just said you like Paranoid better than Crazy Train. I like Crazy Train better than Paranoid. So, Ryan, real quick, pop-up battle. Who do you take, Crazy Train or Paranoid? I wasn't expecting this. I need to sleep on this for a few weeks. I'm going to go Paranoid. Nice. That's what I'm talking about, Ryan. Crazy Train is the burnout for me. So, Me too. uh, Okay, that's it. Let's move on. Next up, we have Iron Man versus Children of the Grave. Now, this is a heavy hitter, as you can get. Two Titanic tracks, both just legendary and always in the live set. This was a tough one, even though one clearly stands out for me. 
I love both songs. I think Iron Man is severely overlooked because of burnout factor. And if you heard Iron Man right now and imagine you were listening to it for the first time, it would blow you away of like, holy fuck, this is one of the greatest riffs ever written for this style of music. But at the end of the day, Children of the Grave is fucking, it moves me. It's one of my all-time favorite Black Sabbath songs. The melody is really showing Ozzy stretches range a little bit here because they've tuned down. The lyrics are one of my all-time favorite sets of lyrics that Geezer has written, which really give me an edge here because I just love the meaning behind the lyrics of Children of the Grave. It's one of the first chug songs. You're just chugging along on the open E string like that. I think it's one of a kind. I lean Children of the Grave. What do you got, Josh? For me, this one's really hard also. I think you really stated it perfectly, Dan, when you said the only problem Iron Man has is burnout factor. When you said just a second ago, if you had never heard Iron Man before and you're hearing it now, you would be blown away. No fucking question. If I had never heard either song before and I'm hearing Iron Man for the first time and Children of the Grave for the first time, I'm probably 100% going Iron Man. It's the first Sabbath song I've ever heard in my life. I mentioned that on the trailer uh, when the Road Warriors used to come down to the ring during uh, wrestling for that. And there's on their Harleys and stuff. It was my first it's my first memory of Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne ever. It's just iconic in every way. But that said, I'm going with Children of the Grave also. For a long time, it was my favorite Black Sabbath song, really, before I realized that the greatness of War Pigs and, and all that it had to offer. But Children of the Grave, man, it's just a, it's a perfect Black Sabbath song in so many ways. I, I, I love the you know the groove, love the melodies. Ozzy's melodies in Children of the Grave are just astronomically through the roof. They're fucking excellent. And now with older age, he's starting to actually pitch his melodies down and change them a little bit. And I, I think I kind of prefer those over the original melodies. So it's just, it's so fucking good, man. I love Children of the Grave. What do you got, Ryan? Yeah, there was no hesitation on my part. Children of the Grave. Yeah, just the riff, the power, the the speed of it all. It just gets going. And doing Embryo straight into that is like this perfect one-two combo that I just absolutely love. To me, it's not my favorite Bill performance, but it, it is one of my favorite. Bill. He just is an absolute fucking monster on the kit for this track. Your guys' point, the melodies, Tony's little like outro solo, it's just it's perfection. It's 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 one of my favorite songs, period. Definitely one of my favorite Sabbath songs. So yeah, no hesitation there. This is so cool of a battle too, because obviously Iron Man Children of the Grave was always played as a medley for Ozzy in the early days of his solo career. So it's kind of cool they're facing off against each other. And I'll tell you, that was really the deciding factor for me because when I'd hear that live. I always get way more into the Children of the Grave part than the Iron Man part. Way yes. more. That's a good point, but I agree with you. It's always, you're waiting for Iron Man to end to go into Children of the Grave, sadly, but that's just the way it is. I feel like Children of the Grave might be the best live song there is. I just love it live. Love it. Obviously, yeah. we had to do some changes because the albums don't line up structurally. How many songs does Master of Reality really even have? About six proper songs. So we had to move things around. We absolutely had to add Weevil Woman, and we did not keep Rat Salad for Paranoid. So we just want to let you guys know we have been moving some stuff around. And we couldn't just go straight one versus one, two versus two, because you had to put the next two songs we have against each other, because they are very similar. And that's Planet Caravan versus Solitude. So we just wanted to let you guys know I had to move some things around to make this battle tougher and make it work. So those are the rules. And next up, Planet Caravan versus Solitude. What do we got, Josh? 
Yeah, this one was really hard for me, actually. I I looked at this one for as long as any matchup on the list. You know, like you said a minute ago, these two songs have the same vibe, very you know similar in tone. But initially, I thought I went Solitude, and I had it picked. I, I had it noted on my notes here that I was going with Solitude for the winner. And then after I got finished with all my notes for tonight's episode, I went back and listened to some of the songs. And after listening to Planet Caravan again, I switched. I liked that song a lot more than I did growing up. Growing up, I would skip it every fucking time, man, just to the next track. I just had you know, no desire for that spacey shit. I wasn't smoking pot yet. Don't now either, by the way. I got a job. I just wasn't into it. But as I've gotten older, I think I appreciate the artistic side of it more than anything. I, I love the, the jazzy style. It's I've always been a little turned off. I love Ozzy's melody, but I hate the effects on the vocals. It's just so hard to understand what he's singing. I really, truly do prefer the demo version that's out there now from the uh, Super Deluxe release of Paranoid. I think the demo version is so much better. And it truly mostly is just because of his clean tone vocals. I, I really prefer the ver- version with the cleaner vocals on it. But ultimately, after I really sat on it, I, I flipped back to Planet Caravan. So I think Planet Caravan for me wins this one. What do you got, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I mean, Josh pretty much stole everything I was going to say, really. I mean, it, Planet Caravan, for the reasons of just sit back, take a couple hits, and that you just kind of disappear into that little world that they created sonically and, and the story of the, you know, that geezer created literally two star-crossed lovers floating through space together. And that's exactly how it feels. And again, to piggyback off, off Josh here, that I definitely prefer the demo. You wouldn't think that it was Ozzy, you know, some of those moments. It's haunting how, how he sounds in, the, in that demo. So anyone listening, if you haven't heard it, it's on YouTube, pull it up and set a headphones on. It's like he's sitting right next to you, creepily whispering into your ear. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful song. I love Solitude, but you know, Planet, Planet Caravan just hits, hits different. So yeah, that's my choice. I would be remiss to also say, please check out the demo of Solitude, because the demo of Solitude is also fucking brilliant. And I want to state for the record, no bullshit. Solitude and Planetary Caravan are both Ozzy singing. Stop with all the nonsense. It's very clear. Listen to the demos, and you can obviously hear Ozzy is singing both of those tracks. This was very tough. I I knew who I was going to go with initially. I I just want to tell you how much I love these two songs and how much they make the record better, both songs, because they're so different. Nobody would ever imagine Black Sabbath writing songs like this. And I got to give a shout-out to Geezer again on solitude not only for his lyrics but fuck his bass playing on that song is astronomical you know there's some lyrics in solitude that really hit home for me you know the 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 crying and thinking is all that i do memories i have remind me of you i just ozzy's performance on that gives me chills every time It, it just is so emotional i i love solitude but at the end of the day i have to go planet caravan there is not a song like it truthfully I think Ozzy's melody is what sets it apart. I think the melody's just a little bit better on Planet Caravan. I can sing and play that on my guitar all day, every day, and I was screaming it today. I just think it's beautiful. The lyrics are gorgeous. And I also enjoy Tony's solo a little bit more on Planet Caravan. It's very jazzy. It's got a lot of emotion. It's got that wicked clean tone going on in it. Overall, I think Planet Caravan is a brilliant song, and I think it just nudges the victory right here. So I go Planet Caravan. Well, and the balls it took to release both of those songs, but especially Planet Caravan since it was first. I mean, 
you've released this creepy metal album that's scaring you know the whole world with Black Sabbath, and then you open up Paranoid with War Pigs, and then Paranoid, and you know everything's just heavy and loud, and then all of a sudden you got this mystical fucking flying through the the sky fucking stoner track. I mean that takes balls, man. A, a lot of bands, especially in that era. A, they didn't have the freedom to do stuff like that. And two, they were afraid to do stuff like that. Like, I really appreciate when bands step out onto a limb and aren't afraid to try something different. I'd like to get your guys' opinion real quick before we move on to the next battle. Do we all agree that Zeitgeist is better than both of these tracks? No. No. <laughs> Interesting. I think so. I think it is. I will I say still prefer Planet Caravan. The melody's better. I love Zeitgeist, and I think it's phenomenal. And I think the bridge on Zeitgeist is great, but... I'm telling you, the melody of Planet Caravan can almost bring me to tears. Not even I, He doesn't have to say anything, but that melody is just gorgeous, man. Yeah, I, I will say I was impressed as hell that they, on Zeitgeist, that they channeled that again all those years later. Because they did. I mean, they Planet Caravan 2013 nailed it. Is it better? No. But for them doing that at the time, at the age they were, it was beautiful, too. Yeah, I think they did. I like it. I like Ozzy's melody better. I like Tony's jazz guitar playing better. There's no doubt it's a, re- a version a of Planet Caravan. It's a retread for sure. I mean, no no question about that. But yeah, I I did I do prefer it over Planet Caravan personally. So I was kind of curious what you guys thought about that one. So I guess you put me in my place, and we can move <laughs> on to the next battle. And it's a great observation, Josh. I, I think they're close, and I think I think Zeitgeist is absolutely wonderful. And did I? jump out of my chair when it started the first time i heard it absolutely i love it but i don't know planet caravan is gorgeous for me one thing i want to point out to listeners real quick is that dan calls it zeitgeist and i call it zeitgeist (laughs) we're technically saying the same thing but just in different ways because we live across the country from each other and i want to say too like it was some balls to do zeitgeist because it could have that could have easily fallen on its face and been a little bit embarrassing really because they were doing something that was maybe a little unfamiliar to them then. It's still not really a, a way that they write on a regular basis now to go back, dig back that far and, and pull it off. It was impressive as hell. Well, and by all accounts, it was kind of thrown together last minute. Also, kind of like Paranoid, correct? Didn't they say when 13 came out that that song, that Rick said he wanted one more song and he wanted something similar to Planet Caravan? And they yes. literally wrote it in the studio right there last minute also. Damage Soul might have been a last minute, too. Well, Damage Soul was put together by Rick in the studio. Yeah. But I think Zeitgeist was just like, I want you to write one more. And they literally threw it down like, like quick. It I is think. a wonderful homage for sure. All right, next up, we have Hand of Doom versus Lord of This World. Ryan, why don't you start us off? Oh, man, I love, 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 love Hand of Doom. And them bringing it back to the set for this end track that they were on was just the highlight of the set by far. Ozzy killed it. It was just ominous, the slow build, and then just kicking the nuts. Perfect. But can't touch Lord of This World for me. That is, it's like Children of the Grave is one of my favorite songs of all time that riff is massive ozzy's melody is just untouchable and that's one that i wish it would have stayed in the set regularly also when they put it on reunion i was just blown away for this world for sure just a monster monster song what do we got josh yeah lord of this world is definitely a monster no question about it it's just so big ozzy's voice he, he hits such a high range in this song he's really pushing it vocally here that said for some reason, I don't listen to that song enough. 
I've always viewed Lord of This World as a song that I know I should listen to and like better than I do. Obviously, I know it pretty well. I'm a Sabbath freako, but it's not one that I frequent as much as, as I should for whatever reason. So I vote for Hand of Doom. Like you said, when they brought it back to the set list for the end tour, it was fucking epic. Me and you saw that in Chicago, and I remember we were texting each other like, fucking Hand of Doom. Like, we were so excited, you know, that they were playing Hand of Doom. But yeah, I like Hand of Doom. My only complaint with Hand of Doom, I always felt like it's one verse too long. When Ozzy sings Caused by Deadly Pins, right? I always thought the song should have ended right there. And I agree. Went the, and not went to the next verse of all the heads start spinning around and all that. We could have done without that. It seems like every time live or on on CD that I listen to this track or streaming, whatever, that I'm ready for it to end right there. And then it comes right back in one more time. So that's my opinion. But that said, I still love Hand of Doom. And that's why I'm voting for Hand of Doom. So this one comes down to you, Dan. Without a question, this was the toughest battle I had. It's not even close. Everything else has been tough, but I knew this one was going to go back and forth. The truth of the matter is this. If this battle was 20 years ago, if this battle was 5, 40 years ago, last year, I would have picked Lord of This World. But in the last year, something has really clicked with Hand of Doom for me that I just can't explain. It's iconic. Both of these songs made my top Aussie vocals list. So from that perspective, I fucking love both songs tremendously. Ultimately, there's just something about Hand of Doom's drug addiction, Vietnam War story. It has more movements. I love to call these parts that Black Sabbath does movements. It has so many different changes. It's just something about it that slowly just inches its way higher than Lord of the Lord of This World. I love Lord of This World. At one time, it was my third favorite Sabbath track. That's how high I've had it. And it still possibly could be a top 10. But so is Hand of Doom. This one clearly is the classic tomorrow I could pick Lord of This World. But just something about Hand of Doom, maybe lately because I've been listening to it a lot with my son. And it's one of his favorite Sabbath songs. And it just moves me. And Ozzy's vocal performance, it's, it's great. I love Hand of Doom. So I'm just going to go Hand of Doom on this one today. Good choice. All right, next up, we have Electric Funeral versus Into the Void. And the reason I put these two together is because they're structurally very similar, very doomy, and they both have that classic, great up-tempo bridge, and I just thought it would be the perfect battle, and they're much more similar. So today, right now, we have Electric Funeral versus Into the Void. I'll start this one. Maybe my easiest choice on the whole record here, but clearly Into the Void is far superior. It's got some of Tony's iconic riffs that are the greatest of his career. The melodies are better. The breakdown is better. The guitar solo is better. Everything is fucking better about Into the Void. Electric Funeral, towards the bottom of my Sabbath tracks. I like it. My first song I ever learned on the guitar was actually Electric Funeral, so it's very special to me. But at the end of the day, it's a little boring for me. I clearly think Into the Void is 20 times better. Matter of fact, every time I played live with my bands, during our guitar sound check, I play the riff of Into the Void because that's how great it fucking is. Maybe Tony's best riff outside of Supernaut, Into the Void it is. What do you got, Josh? I got to say, it's funny how you and I think so much alike. I play Into the Void on, the t- on guitar all the time also. That opening lick, then into the... It's just so fucking fun to play, man. So fun to play. And that's what Black Sabbath brings you. You know, that's what Gus G mentioned actually on our interview with him. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it in our archives. 
is how fun Black Sabbath songs were to play when he was growing up. And I think you and I had experienced the same thing. They're just so fun to play those riffs, man. They're easy, but they're just so damn fun. Electric Funeral does have a, a special place in my heart. I have vivid memories of when we first discovered Black Sabbath. I was playing wiffle ball with my friends. We would always meet in my friend's yard and have wiffle, wiffle ball matches like all day long. And we would play the Paranoid cassette over and over. We would just play it. Like I didn't know I was a you know Aussie historian yet. It's a little uh, young Aussie historian in the making, I suppose. But we would just flip that cassette all day long. And we all loved the fucking wall wall on electric funeral. Just you know, we just fucking loved it. It it just captivated us as you know little kids. That said, like you said earlier, into the void has so much good shit going on in that song. Some of Tony's best riffs. Ozzy's got cool melodies. I, I go into the void. What do you got, Ryan? Oh, here we are, three for three of into the void. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Dan. You know, electric funeral. Maybe just a little too slow. Maybe it goes on just a little bit too long. Not at the top of my list. Never necessarily thrilled me all that much live. But Into the Void, it just, oh, when that when that kicks in, again, going back to the riff, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I kind of describe myself as a little bit of a Big Lebowski, like, pacifist. But when that hits, like, I just want to start, like, turn to the next person, just start punching them, just because there's so much energy and so much drive to that. It just, that is what you play someone was, you know, picking up the guitar for the first time, and who the hell wouldn't want to lay that down? I, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, for sure, into the void. And that doesn't even include like you know the the later section when it picks up. Your freedom finders, you know, it it picks up so fucking good. That is the perfect transition, and then to transition back to the slower riff again. It's just so fucking epic, man. And of course, live on stage, Ozzy always goes over to Tony and kind of says something to him and gives him that look during Into the Void, night in and night out, and Tony always laughs at him. I have no idea what their inside joke is right there. I would love to know what Ozzy says to him or what that look is about, but he does that night in and night out during Into the Void, and I've always wondered what's up with that. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's, there, there's some there's some kind of little inside whatever, but it, even, even just watching and not knowing, it can be hilarious because – Ozzy just doing his random thing so like grab his crotch and get in his face and it's just like what the, you know what the fuck <laughs> but that's just part of like you know you've played these songs night after night for so long you got to do these little things i'm sure to kind of keep things a little interesting josh you nailed it man after coming out of the bridge on into the void with that fast breakdown and everything stops and it's just you know that riff it's so iconic i i don't know if i could think of a riff in my life as a small child wanting to be a guitar player that I wanted to play was that riff over anything. The beginning of Crazy Train, Diary, all of it. That Into the Void riff is that riff for me. I fucking love it. Can I be honest with you? On the same vein of being a small child wanting to play that riff, oddly for me, I had that for Electric Funeral. Like I said earlier, when they had the wah-wah and the da-da-wah-wah-wah, like we just right. thought that was the coolest shit ever, you know, as like 10-year-olds. I kind of had the same thing for Electric Funeral, but, you know, it doesn't mean it's as good a song as Into the Void. It's not, you know, it's not in that ballpark at all. All right, our last battle. There's only seven songs with this battle because, unfortunately, Master of Reality doesn't have a lot of tracks to choose from. So, obviously, we didn't include Embryo, Orchid, also omitted Rat Salad. So, our last battle is the album closer for Paranoid Fairies Wear Boots versus the B-side of Master of Reality's unreleased track, Weevil Woman. Ryan, why don't you start us off on this battle? Zero hesitation at Fairies Wear Boots. You know, Weevil has potential. They, they just never entirely followed through with 
So it's it's a an odd battle. It'd been hard to top Fairies Wear Boots against just about any other track, really. It's just so jump up and down. Ozzy kills it in the melodies, and it's just just a blast. The build up into that main riff is just unreal. One of my favorite moments on Paranoid. One of my favorite moments in Black Sabbath in general, and absolute highlight in a live setting. You know, and then we've discussed that we wish Ozzy did more solo tracks live and drop the Sabbath stuff, but I, I would take him playing Fairies Wear Boots and keep that in the set over Paranoid. I really would. So definitely my choice, Fairies. Yeah, there's no question. I also go Fairies Wear Boots. I like Weevil Woman. I think it's actually, it does have potential if it could have been fleshed out more, but God, Fairies Wear Boots here might have beat just about every song for me on this on these records. Not everyone, but it's, it's definitely so iconic. I, I've loved it my whole life. I love the version on Speak of the Devil. I love the original. I think this is one of Billboard's coolest songs as well. The iconic outro that Tony plays, which was totally hijacked by Metallica for, for Whom the Bell Tolls. Again, something I've always wanted to play on the guitar. This is the song I've covered live the most as a guitar player. I just love everything about it. Ozzy's voice and melodies are so cool. I love that it's about a real incident that a bunch of skinheads beat up Geezer. You know, I just think it's such an iconic Black Sabbath song. And I love everything about it from the time changes. This could be the most swing Bill has in a Sabbath song. There's just so much swing in that riff. I think Fairies Wear Boots is fairly untouchable. So clearly Fairies. What do we got, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say it any better than you guys did. Fairies Wear Boots. Weevil Woman, like you said, it does have a ton of potential. I would have liked to heard that song fleshed out just a little bit more. But it is what it is. It's a it's a work in progress demo that they threw on there for us to enjoy. That you know, it really doesn't belong in this battle. But we didn't want to leave fairies wear boots off either. So, you know, it is what it is. It's fairies by a mile, and I appreciate how much respect you're giving Bill because really it, it goes down the line. Bill Ward never gets the credit he deserves with Black Sabbath. I mean, everyone's like, oh, you know, Tony's thunderous, you know, Geezer's thunderous bass and Tony's riffs and Ozzy's melodies. Bill Ward's swing and Bill Ward's jazz fusion is a huge part of the sound of Black Sabbath. And it really is underspoken so often by people like us and whoever, how much he truly contributed to the sound of this band. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him a lot with fairies because it's, it's definitely there. Fairies were boots by landslide. Well, that wraps up the battle. So it, it, this was a great fucking battle. I'm actually shocked by my results because Going in, I would have said Master of Reality was going to win it for me, but I had it 5-2 for, for Paranoid. Josh, you had it 4-3 for Paranoid, and Ryan, you also had it 4-3 for Paranoid. So we have a, a clean sweep where we all feel Paranoid is the strongest record. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, if we would have done a Sabbath album listing today, like ranking our favorite Sabbath records, I guarantee I would have put Master of Reality above Paranoid. So this was a very eye-opening for me, and... A very, very fun, thought-out process and battle. What a, what a battle to Titanic Records. What do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. Like, if you told me, I would have picked Master of Reality also. I almost had Solitude over Planet Caravan, like I said earlier. If I had kept that, I would have been the one person that had Master of Reality picked over Paranoid. But like you said, they're both classics. They're both epics. They're two of the greatest albums of all time, so you can't lose either way. There's no doubt in the public perception, Paranoid is the is the winner, hands down. But amongst the deep fan base, I think most would say they probably prefer Master of Reality also. So I'm like you. I'm, I'm a little shocked to see that all three of us ended up choosing Paranoid when it was said and done. To your point, I bet you most people are going to choose Master of Reality. 
because of the burnout factor. What do you think, Ryan? Same. I, I, Master Reality would definitely be over Paranoid. And amongst other Sabbath albums would be above Paranoid as a whole. And maybe this was simply a matter of just breakdown of the, the songs that wound up being against each other. Because if you maybe if you tweak them here and there, Master of Reality definitely you know takes the crown. Fun. This is this is awesome doing breaking these down and and listening to them again. And I I think I told you guys Paranoid as an album doesn't get a whole lot of you know cycling for me simply because of burnout. Kind of going back and re digesting these albums and kind of pretending it was the first time again from a front to back just made me enjoy it so much more again of course i love them from you know everything about it but a lot more in the discography that i tend to dig into because it just doesn't get that same attention or even close to it so to your point ryan i totally agree you know just so the listeners know we do always try to take the burnout factor out of it that's something we've all discussed before we do these battles that when we discuss certain songs you know don't let the fact that we're here on the radio all the time take away from how great it truly is i mean if that was the case we wouldn't have picked paranoid over sweet leaf so we always try to take the songs for what they are, not what they've become from burnout. Because it just happens to all of us. We all get tired. I mean, Iron Man, like Dan said earlier, is probably the main one that if not for burnout, it would be on the top of the mountain. But burnout definitely takes Iron Man down a few notches. So when we do these battles, we try not to do that. We try to lift it to where it's supposed to be. Because you know, just because the song is so popular that it's still on the radio all the time, that doesn't mean it should lose cred. You know, that's, that's, that sucks. So we try not to go that route on this podcast. So for a quick recap, this is what we have. War Pigs vs. Sweetleaf, all three of us chose War Pigs. Paranoid versus After Forever, me and Ryan chose Paranoid, and Josh, you chose After Forever. Iron Man vs. Children of the Grave, and a shocker, all three of us chose Children of the Grave. Planet Caravan vs. Solitude was also a sweep, where all three of us chose Planet Caravan. Hand of Doom vs. Lord of This World was split. Josh and I chose Hand of Doom, while Ryan was alone on Lord of This World. And with Electric Funeral vs. Into the Void, all three of us were in a clean sweep. And to end the, the battle, we had Fairies Wear Boots versus Weevil Woman, also a clean sweep. So that's where we stood. The irony is, very few songs were we, anybody by themselves. We were not split very often, which is kind of cool. Matter of fact, I was never split. I always had somebody on my page, which is kind of cool to see. So now let's finish it up. We're going to do the ultimate album like we did the last time. So Ryan, why don't you tell us what your ultimate album is in order, starting from first to last, we're going to do eight songs. What is your ultimate album combining Paranoid and Master of Reality? Well, this is the part where people are going to think I'm committing treason against the Sabbath elites. But I went, you know, straight rockers on this one. This is my mood for the day, right? I put this list together today, this morning, and I was just feeling in a heavy mood all day. So I'm going to open it up with War Pigs because the show opener, the album opener, it's perfection in every way. That ends into uh, into the void, the riff, everything you want, you know, in a, in a track two, into Paranoid, and then we have Hand of Doom into Side 2, starting off with Lord of This World, into Sweet Leaf, and we go into Fairies Wear Boots, and then we close it with The Whispering of Children of the Grave. And if you're paying attention, Iron Man did not make my list. You can hang me. That's fine. I'll fight you about it. That's my choice. Sorry. Sorry, Iron Man. <laughs> no, it's great. This is so tough. This was harder than the battle, to be honest. What do you got, Josh? Yeah, for me, this was definitely harder than the battle. I had like 10 songs, and whittling them down to eight was just so hard because you have truly like 15 or 16 just epic fucking Black Sabbath songs, and it was just so hard. But for me, I also opened up with War Pigs, perfect opener. 
After that, we're going straight into After Forever. Has I like high energy songs at track two. And after that, I went into Children of the Grave. I did like, Ryan, where you put Children of the Grave at the end for the whispers and stuff. That's a cool idea. I didn't think about that, but I'll stick with what I have. So at track four, I have Iron Man. On side B, I wanted to open up with Sweet Leaf. I, I do like the coughing to open up the, the side. I think that's a pretty cool, good idea. And after that, I go into Hand of Doom and then into Electric Funeral. And I close the album with Into the Void. So I don't have Paranoid on my album. I know that's shocking and I, and I do love it, but it's just, it's not, I can't put Paranoid over those songs for me. I never have. Like I said, even when I was a little boy, Electric Funeral stuck out to me so much more than Paranoid did. That's why it's there and Paranoid isn't. I've just always preferred it. Yeah, great list, guys. This is tough because I'm sure we're going to see Fault of Mine as well. You know, it sucks because Planet Caravan and Solitude did not make your lists. And then I'll tell you now, it didn't make mine either because there's just too many iconic fucking songs here. So I'm going to start with War Pigs. It's impossible not to. I I love that all three of us have that. I'm going to jump right into Paranoid. I think it's a perfect one-two punch. We have a wonderful epic and then right into a single that's nice and up-tempo. And then I kind of keep it up-tempo a little bit with the great Lord of This World. And then I end side one with Iron Man, which I just... To me, Paranoid is almost a perfect fucking record. So, you know, I kept War Pigs, Paranoid, and Iron Man all in their same spots because I just think they're so iconic. I open side two with Children of the Grave. I just think it would be a great thundering opening, putting on that record and hearing that riff to start it. Then I go Hand of Doom, and then I follow that by Fairies Wear Boots. And then I end the album with the phenomenal Into the Void, which is an iconic riff that you just, you have to leave that record like breathless. And that's what Into the Void does. So that's my list. We're all very similar, which is kind of cool. My glaring omission, unfortunately, was Sweet Leaf. That one hurt a little bit because I do love it, but it did not make my list. Yeah, I want to say that that is my choice. There's no slight to Iron Man by any means. My heart of hearts, the other songs just mean way more to me. They touch differently. They sound differently. They've affected me differently than Iron Man ever has. So that's, yeah, no, no disrespect intended to for sure one of the greatest songs ever written in Iron Man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, any way you go, when you whittle these tracks down to eight, you got to leave off some epics. I mean, mine didn't have Paranoid or Fairies Wear Boots. So, I mean, in what world would you imagine that? It, but if you want to get down to eight, the grade eight, that's what you got to do. Somebody's got to go. So, there you have it. We all know mine was the right list, but, that, you know, that's for another story. No, this was awesome, man. I mean, it breaks my heart that Planet Caravan did not make mine because I do think it's Side one of Paranoid might be the best side of an album of all time. Most people don't realize, you know, War Pigs, Paranoid, and Iron Man are their three most iconic songs. And not only are they all on the same album, they're all on the same side. How is that not the best side in heavy metal history? It's fucking amazing to me that those three songs are all on the same side. And then you throw Planet Caravan on there. Holy shit. It's just, it's untouchable, man. Yeah, it's hard to argue for sure. I mean, it's, it's, Paranoid is so fucking solid. You know, there's a reason why it is what it is. It's just a great fucking record. Well, that was great. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Make sure you guys let us know what the next battle you want to see. Do we stay in Sabbath? Do we go back to Solo Ozzy? Fuck it. Do we bring on a couple of Dio fans and do a something versus heaven and hell? Blizzard versus heaven and hell or something. Let's just have some fun with it. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Make sure you're definitely giving us your battles and your ultimate album. But thank you. It was a great Great, great battle today. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, the socials have definitely been lighting up lately. 
is starting to really take off on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of our social media, YouTube. They've definitely taken off in the past weeks. So we want to thank you guys for that. We appreciate you listening to us. Our numbers have really went up in the last little bit. And the word of mouth is starting to get out there about our little podcast here, I believe. And we definitely appreciate you guys listening. And tell your friends about us. Add us on Facebook or whatever. We do have all the breaking news. You know, We try so hard to be on top of everything. And just keep on uh, telling your friends about us and adding us on you know, all the different social media accounts because that really goes a long way in helping us. And like Dan said, let us know what topics you want to hear next. It's been a blast, guys. I appreciate you having me again. It's uh, an honor to play any part in this little uh, world that you guys have created in the, the Aussie universe. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun, and I can't wait till the next one. Thanks for having me. Until next time, we will see you on the other side. <laughs> Truth of the matter is this. If <laughs> fuck off, dude. <laughs> oh, I gotta shut you off. Oh, That's what that was funny. This podcast has been missing it the whole time. The Harry. whole time. I know, Harry. <laughs> fuck your Harry. All right. <laughs> I'm not right, too me, bad. Let me get back. I shave my chest. I trim it. A I'm while. a metrosexual, there's no question. Okay, so <laughs> let me say this. Okay. Right. Both of these songs made God damn you guys. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> All right. I, I can get it together. When I flashed you my titties just now, if you would have looked close, and this is the craziest shit you've ever heard in your life, I have a fucking whitehead right on the damn tip of my nipple. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I know. And, like, my wife is dying to pop it, and I won't let her. Oh, man, my wife <laughs> loves to pop nipple. Do you know how bad that would <laughs> My, Your wife my, loves to pop nipples. Yes, she, she loves to pop uh, zits as well. You know how fucking bad that would hurt, though, man. Like it oh hurts just to touch it. Is that what um, I have to look to? Fucking tit pimples. Like I've never had, <laughs> dude. I didn't know it was a thing either. My tit was so sore for like four days. And I was like, "Fuck my right," and I thought it was where it's cold outside, you know. <laughs> and then finally, I looked down, and it's got this big fucking like pimple on the top of it. it fucking oh, hurts, Dan. You're saying you you shave your chest. You guys collecting those hairs and putting them on the crown of your head? Fuck off.